0: The Lord be with you. you. Let us pray. O God, our refuge and strength, true source of all godliness, graciously hear the devout prayers of your church, and grant that those things which we ask faithfully we may obtain effectually, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.
1: Our Old Testament reading comes from Psalm 113. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord, from this time forth and forevermore, from the rising of the sun to its setting. The name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations, and his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high, who looks from far down on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust, and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes with the princes of his people he gives the barren woman a home making her the joyous mother of children praise the lord the word of the lord be to
2: God. our new testament reading comes from first peter chapter 2, 11 through 17. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of his visitation. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke.
2: Glory to you, Lord Christ.
1: On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee, and as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back. Praising God with a loud voice, and he fell at, on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. And then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. The Gospel of the Lord.
0: Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the great gift of uh, your word to your church that we can read it and study it, hear it together. Thank you that you speak to us. I ask that you help us to hear, um, hold on to you now, that you give us um, insight into your call for us, and you help me as well. Amen. You can be seated. So a few years ago my wife and I started to notice a problem in one of our van doors. It was a siding slide door in the van. It started out as just a little bit of extra noise, just a little extra kind of rattle in there. Then that noise got kind of crunchy and disturbing. Then the door didn't want to shut properly all the time. Sometimes it would just shut like normal, and sometimes it would take multiple tries and some jiggles and some sort of voodoo, I don't know, um, and it would finally shut well. And that was the point where we said, you know what? We need to stop using the door. We need to go get it fixed right away. This is a problem. We don't want to have to deal with this anymore. So months later, we still hadn't fixed it or gotten it checked in any way. Uh, but we were often remembering not to use that door. Not always. And then one day, my kids had caused my wife to be really late to work. Um, and she was pulled into the, the parking lot and was grabbing her stuff, just trying to run inside. And she didn't think. And she went and she opened that door. And you know, it opened real nice. It just kept—it slid open and then just kept on sliding, and it went all the way off and onto the ground. Uh, she sounded really, I, I didn't get to see this, it sounded kind of amusing like in, a, in a sense, but she had help managed to kind of slide it back on and snap it in, and it stayed in. Um, but so, you know, we, we put duct tape over the handles and kind of around the door as like a don't touch this anymore. So we're like, all right, don't touch that door. We need to go get to repairs and get this thing figured out. So it was probably a year later that we still hadn't touched that door, but had been working around. And then our second van door started making some pretty interesting sounds. And that was the point when we are like, all right, we can't put it off anymore. You know, the one door fell off because we didn't know exactly what was going on. We know where this leads now. We have to fix it. So finally we made that, you know, we, we asked some people, where should we go, what's a good place? We found a really close-by local place that people really liked. Uh, and let me say, you know, when you're an adult, when you go to pick up your repaired vehicle and you're like really excited about how good it went, it was like, it was, this was like our best car repair experience ever, um, as far as how it went. I mean, both doors were fixed and working great. Um, they actually had detail cleaned the whole van, um, which we didn't know was happening. And if you have a family van, you know how much work that is or how much it saves you in the long run that they clean it out. Um, and the actual final price was half as much as the original quote. Um, they had, the prices came in way cheaper, the time of work was way less, and they didn't do anything about, like, you know, the bill or anything, it was just, this is what it is, and so that's what they charged us on us. It was such a price difference when I saw it, I had to look, I checked both doors and checked the invoice, like, they must have forgotten the door, only done one, but no, everything was doubled up and everything was working great, it was, it was awesome, um, so we were paying, you know, talking with, it was the owner who was checking us out, and you get into those kind of basic business conversations. So how'd you find us? Oh, we live in the neighborhood, you know, you were recommended. Oh, cool, you live here, and okay, what do you guys do? And so Liz answers, well, I'm a chiropractor, great, and he turns to me. And most of you have never answered that question, you know, I'm a pastor. I get to answer that, and it's always, um, it's an interesting to see people's response. Usually the response is something like worry or embarrassment. Oh, no i found out he's a pastor i don't want to go there um and they pull back and run away if possible um he though he just brightened up like oh and he started telling us about his church and about his own faith um he was a christian and it was a fun moment for us as uh, we we saw all these good things at his work and then they clicked of a oh and we see his faith and his values actually on display in these things that was the working out of his belief and it was really nice Um, Now, I'm not saying, just to be really clear, I'm not saying non-Christians can't work hard or be truthful. I have worked with many who are exactly those things, but just in this moment, it was fun to see um, just how this was obviously the outworking of his faith, the way he was running his business, the way he was treating customers was because he had belief in Jesus, and that was going to work out like this, Um, and it was really nice. I bring that up today um, because I think it captured well some of the core challenge in our passage for today that's in um, 1 Peter. Here we're being challenged to be honorable and to do good throughout our lives. And God's challenge through Peter here, it's really broad. It can touch on every aspect of our lives, including things like how we run our businesses and so much more. So as we're diving into this passage today, uh, I hope we're all able to, to, to listen and, and, and kind of process this together, but especially that you can begin discussing with God, um, what does this look like? What is his call for you specifically in this? So as we're turning to 1 Peter, um, as I was working through this passage this week, I think it's, it's a little repetitive or kind of circular in the way he goes. Peter's really got two maybe three main ideas and he just repeats them a couple times um so i'm not going to go verse by verse i found that confusing in my own head we're going to go idea by idea as we go and the first of the these ideas in the passage um it's all about our identity if you remember back a few weeks ago when we started first peter um, peter addresses this letter to the elect exiles of the church and now he's coming back to those ideas and those words and he's got more time to consider it here But before we get to jump right into these descriptions of the church, we really have to look back to last week in the passage that Pastor Joel um, led us through. Uh, So Peter, if you remember, began the book remembering, praising God for his mercy, his great goodness, the salvation he's given us, the hope we have in that. Well, last week, Peter, and really Pastor Joel kind of along with him then, were exploring um, how that great mercy of God, the hope we have, how that changes us entirely, Um, And specifically, we have completely new identities in Jesus Christ. So today, as we're looking at this, what we need to remember especially is that everyone who has clung to Christ for forgiveness, for salvation, all of us, we're now part of a chosen race, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation. We are a people for God's own possession. We're joined together by God's mercy and his choosing. And this identity that we have, it's not mere window dressing. It's not like a fancy costume that, you know, we can put on and take off again. This is really who we are now. It's foundationally true of all of us. And this is our identity before anything else. So holding that identity in mind, we're a chosen holy race for God's possession. Now we come today, to today's passage, and we we find another piece of this identity. And here, according to God and Peter We are also sojourners and exiles. That doesn't sound quite as nice as the identity stuff from last week, does it? But it flows directly from those things that Peter was teaching us about our identity. He so completely means that we really are a chosen race and a holy nation that he also means now we're not normal, regular citizens of our own nations any longer. His listeners, his original listeners would hear as he says this, that we're not simply Romans or Greeks anymore. We should hear something like we're not simply Americans or Minnesotan or whatever your, maybe your background is there. We're actually now foreigners and resident aliens in our own places. Peter means for us to understand that now we have different allegiances, different priorities. We have different hopes and values. We belong to a different kingdom. Those words that Peter uses here, calling us sojourners and exiles, um, those two are specifically used together of Abraham from way back in Genesis in your Bible. If you remember that story, God called Abraham, and he made these great promises to Abraham, but as part of that, Abraham had to leave um, his home, his family, everything he knew, and he had to travel to the land of Canaan. And Abraham would live the rest of his life there, Um, But he was always just there was the permanent residence of the land and abraham was still a sojourner and an exile He would know the people he would do business with the people, but he was not of the people God was going to build abraham into his own people his own nation And abraham had to stay true to god not simply merge into the world around him That's a pretty good starting image for what peter has in his mind as he's telling us of our identity in this way We do live and work where we are. We're engaged in our communities. We're involved in politics. We're making friends around us. But this is never our full home. And that means, foundationally, we should think differently. We should feel differently than the world around us. Because we're always waiting for the fullness of God's kingdom to come, the fullness of our home. We're waiting for the world to be reborn. And that has... A lot of challenge and call to us. Uh, But Peter's actually going to keep building on this idea of what our identity is. Um, He explains it more in verse 16 from a different angle. Here he says that we are to live as people who are free, but also we are to live as servants of God. This is sort of a delightful little contradiction here in some ways. Um, It's not unique to Peter. The Apostle Paul is a big fan of this as well. What this means is that in Christ, We actually have been set free from sin and death. We are really free from things that the whole world is still enslaved to. But the whole purpose of our freedom isn't just to pursue our own course. It's to be able to finally live according to God's design. Um, We can finally uh, um, live according to our true purpose, the way we were made. And that is we get to live finally as servants of God. God frees us from the tyranny of sin and death so that we can turn and find our true freedom in serving him. So Peter means when he says we are free. We are free. Sin has no hold over us. We don't need to fear death. Even more, there are so many fears and troubles and problems in this world. They matter, but they don't have an ultimate hold over us, an ultimate say over us, because Christ will win, and we are Christ's. So we're also freed from these pressures. But as freed people, we only live rightly when we surrender ourselves wholly to the God who freed us. We only properly use our freedom. We only find who we really are as servants of our great king. So we are sojourners and exiles because we're already part of God's unique people. We're freed and yet God's servants. And with those things true of who we really are, Peter turns to, well, then how do we live now? And we see right away Peter's going to call us to honorable conduct. He's going to tell us to do good. And he doesn't mean that in just some sort of random peripheral. This is who we are now. We're, we're different. This is what it looks like in this world. But even as we think this, the honorable conduct, the doing good, that is a really big picture. It comes with a surprising amount of nuance as well rather than just sort of simple words here. As we go forward, just be keeping in mind that our identity, our identity in this world is so unique. So our honorable conduct is going to be unique thing as well and first we see as sojourners and exiles we should abstain from the passions of the flesh these things that war against our souls now this is not a call to be people who are void of passions or people who avoid pleasure this is language for when our passions control us or especially for the sinful pursuit of our passions and pleasures we're made actually for good things but always in their proper place Passions, when pursued wrongly, when they put first, they become idols, and they war against who we truly are. They actually destroy who we're made to be. So we, we run from that. We turn away from that and the sin around that. We put our pleasures in their proper place. They are good gifts of our Creator, but they're not worthy of our worship. They're not worthy of our final allegiance. This was a unique call both for the early church, but also for us, the pursuit of pleasures of all sorts, it's always been a primary goal and stumbling block for all people. So, church, we're a people who've been called to be different in this. Our identities, though, they're about a lot more than simply the what not to do, what we should be avoiding. This passage isn't just don't do certain things. Instead, the focus here is on the what we do. It's honorable conduct, good we do in the world, which we see in verses 12 15 and peter just says have honorable conduct do good as you hear those things i need you to understand um those aren't like shorthand terms for like really specific actions peter isn't trying to get us to think here about one or two important things we should be doing that would be easy uh instead these terms are really big broad and far-reaching Honorable conduct and good deeds, doing good, these apply to all areas of our lives. These speak to issues both big and small. And in most cases, we probably have a good idea already what this looks like. Peter's emphasis here, for the moment anyway, is on doing good things that everyone around you recognizes as good as well. He says that the Gentiles around them, that just means the people who are you know, neighbors to the church, but they're not the church. They don't share our values or our worldview yet, maybe. Um, But those people, they should recognize the good and honorable work of Christians. So this isn't meant as something that is hard for us to imagine or something out there that we don't grasp. So what good can we do that others also know is good? It speaks to things like honesty and integrity, hard work. Charity, helping those around us, hospitality, real hospitality, and so much more. And certainly as Peter is challenging us in this, he's envisioning a lot of things um, according to the scriptures. One of the real great gifts of spending regular time in scripture is, is that we can absorb the way God talks about right living. So we don't just see the good actions that we were told about directly there, but those things set deep into our imaginations And as Peter makes this broad call to good and honorable living, that's a call to use our imaginations together with Christ and God to to envision what is good, what is honorable in the situation where I find myself. Of course, though, Peter doesn't mean here that we should only do things that the broader world sees as good. Earlier in the letter, Peter was clear that we have a call to holiness We've been born again from God's mercy. We're meant to imitate our Father's holiness. And that call means that there are going to always be many ways that our understanding of goodness doesn't line up with what the world around us thinks. At the same time, though, as we hold to holiness, we can also not ignore the good that people do see and understand that we can do. I think it's important to have a little caveat here. I don't think as Peter is saying this that he means that you need to go out and just do more and more and more. Do more good, do more good. The idea is never just do more good until you collapse and can't do it anymore. In this, it's just as you go out, do these good things. Live honorably. Do it in what you're already doing. We, we very often don't need to find new things to do. God's call is for us right where we are with exactly what's going on in our lives now. So overall, at this point, I feel like I understand Peter in this. At the same time, though, there's such an openness to this exhortation. Do good deeds. Have honorable conduct. It feels really big and a little hard to deal with. Um, and I think Peter knows this because he actually gives us one big example to help us start thinking about this and something to work through. And it's an example he knew that his readers were going to need, and it's one we need as well. It's a very important one. Peter tells his readers as part of this, We are to be subject to every human institution. And he gives the further example of being subject to the emperor or the king, the word is interchangeable there, and to governors. Now, right away, that might feel a bit surprising for you. First, we remember we're people of a different kingdom. We're sojourners and exiles, we're free people. We're supposed to be subject to a different emperor. But Peter's clear, we're doing this for our king, we're doing this for the Lord, we're doing it as part of God's will, that our good deeds may be seen and known in this world. But maybe this also comes as a bit of a surprise, because we know Peter wrote this letter from Rome during the time of um, Nero Caesar, uh, and he was not in any way a ruler that Christians could like look up to. And hope to find some good there. If you're not very familiar with him, the least we can say is that he was known for some very notorious, horrible persecutions within Rome, aside from other things. But even outside of Nero, generally, there was a whole lot wrong in the Roman Empire. From the way the rulers pursued immorality and greed, the way they treated their subject, to the way idol worship was just prevalent everywhere. Um, And it was a government that allowed and even encouraged the persecution of Christians, Peter had already seen plenty of that. He'd already known by this point the death of some of the other apostles because of this persecution. At the end of this letter, <clears throat> Peter actually says that he's, he's writing from Babylon. That's not literal. He's in Rome, like we've said. But he calls it Babylon to bring to mind all the ways that Babylon stood against God and God's people. And he means Rome is no different to that. And with all of this true, God still says through Peter here... Be subject even to the emperor and the governors, to every human institution. They are meant to keep order. That's the role God has given them. That's what's kind of going on in verse 14. The governors are sent by him, by God, for pursuit of order. And it's God's, God's design here. that That's what rulers are do. They should at least maintain some basic order. It's better than chaos. And as Christians, we too are meant to pursue and maintain order for others. That's a good thing we can do. Of course, though, this doesn't mean that Christians can submit to human institutions in everything. This isn't a command to throw out everything else, like our pursuit of holiness, our love of neighbor, our worship of God alone. As an example, again, Rome was notorious for how idolatry was just everywhere in its systems. Um, Upon their death, the Caesars were worshipped in Rome as gods. But even before their death, they were often worshipped in other places, including Asia Minor, which is where Peter has addressed this letter. And Rome itself was worshipped through the so-called goddess Roma. And as that stuff went through, basically any participation in the civic life of the empire meant you had to offer prayers for or to um, Caesar and Roma. So as Peter says, be submitted to the authorities, he doesn't mean that Christians should jump into these activities like wholeheartedly. He never means this. And actually, the early church avoided all of those civic opportunities, and that became a very big reason for their persecution. They wouldn't join into important aspects of communal life. They were seen as threats and outsiders. This is just one example of the ways Peter certainly did not mean that we should be subject to human institutions. There will always be a lot more than that. As we're thinking about this, just as a bit of an aside, there's a really cool thing in this passage that I don't want to miss. Um, Even as Peter's telling people to be subject to the emperor in Rome, he's actually contradicting the ultimate claims of the emperor. He's undercutting in some ways. Because he says we should be subject to human institutions, and he talks about the emperor and the kings. But remember, Rome and the emperor, their claim was that they were divine. Peter disagrees with that. But also in verse 17, Peter says we should honor everyone. We should honor the emperor. Then he says, but we fear God. That's a sign of it's reverence is the idea. We reverence God. So the emperor, as human, he can be honored. We can think of at least basic respect towards him, but he's not to be reverenced. That is kept only for the one true God. So back on point, we're supposed to live honorably, do good, That means even being subject to human institutions, even not particularly good ones. But we can be subject only in ways that don't contradict our faith and the teachings of Scripture. So what's on Peter's mind at this point? I think there's a few things that we can think of pretty quick. One thing we know is um, taxes. The early church paid their taxes, even if they didn't like the empire. They followed laws around community order, or various ordinances like that. And of course, as we think about our own faith, we know that there are some big don't do this, and those things fit really well into laws around crime. We know we should not you know, commit theft or assault or murder. We can ascribe to and support laws that say the same. As we think about this hard question about what does this look like, how do we hold these things in balance, I really liked... Um, one point one commentator was making here, and he said just as people were looking at Christians at this time of the early church, they saw something really curious and strange because they saw people who were following these laws that made life harder for them, willingly, where other people would try to skate around them, taxes, things like that. Christians followed that stuff. Um, But then also Christians wouldn't do the really easy thing when it came to things like offering incense and sacrifice to rome or to to caesar that would make life so much easier and so much better and the christians wouldn't do that either so people looked at these christians and they just didn't make sense to others around them in the way they lived And i find that challenging for myself does the way i live make sense all the time to everyone else in the world let's turn back to peter's main point here again This is an example, he says, this being subject. It's an example of how we can do good and have honorable conduct. And again, there's a lot more we can consider here. Our work, our homes, how we're involved in our communities, and it's a lot. But as we start considering that, Peter actually has important reasons for us to maintain this behavior that we have to consider as well. Yes, we do these things because they're good. But interestingly, we also do this because... Um, these good deeds, when people speak against us, when people speak evil against us, ultimately these deeds will lead um, people to glorify God when he returns. So Peter's writing very directly to churches who are impacted by persecution at this point. They know some harm for their faith. They know how problems come out of rumors that are spread around them. And actually, um, we know a lot about the kind of rumors people spread about the church at this time. When the church talked about the body of Christ or we talked about consuming the body of Christ, people began spreading rumors that Christians were murderers and cannibals. And they said all sorts of horrible things about what was being eaten. When Christians cared for each other as brothers and sisters, people started saying, well, those people are incestuous and vile. When Christians said only Jesus is truly king, they were called seditious. This type of thing was happening even as Peter wrote this letter. And these rumors would spread fast. So people were sometimes afraid of Christians or they hated Christians because of these types of things. But the call here, the wisdom here is very simple. They can spread rumors, but what will they see you actually doing? And what did they see? I love a few big things that the early church did. They give me so much hope and encouragement. One of the big ones that came to mind this week, um, at this time, it was very sad Um, how little many people viewed and valued girls, especially. And so when girls were born, um, they were often just exposed. It meant they just put them outside and left them. Um, Well, the church wouldn't have that. They went and found these babies. They took them in. They raised them as their own. Or during plagues in cities like this, they were so overcrowded at this time, disease could spread very quickly. And if you had the means at the time when disease started in your city, you got out of the city. You ran away, and it would keep you safe. Um, The Christians didn't do that. They stayed. They offered shelter and food and basic care. Uh, Many Christians died as they were helping at those times. And more simply, we know people saw the Christians as surprisingly honest. They saw them as people who cared for widows and orphans, who shared their wealth and did so much more. I'm actually, as a church, when I think about these things, I'm really glad for our connections with Together for Good, for New Life Family Services that help families in trouble, that help protect children and babies or other organizations that are doing these types of outreaches and providing food and clothes and helping. And pay attention, we have a winter clothing drive coming up soon. So Peter's challenging the church to do good works, and that's to silence those who want evil for them or who want to spread rumors. But he has a deeper point as well. For some, they're going to see these good works in the church, and it's going to change their perspective. For some, even, it may lead to their conversion. We actually know many did convert when they saw how the Christians lived and died so honorably. As I was in school, um, I think in college and seminary, a favorite quote that people would kind of pass around was, um, preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. Some people say that was Francis of Assisi. He didn't say that. Um, But in some ways, that's what Peter is talking about here. You know, how does every aspect of our lives preach the gospel? But as people said that in school, um, often what they really meant was, how do I avoid preaching the gospel with my words? Um, I'll I'll do the deeds, but the words are the hardest part. Putting meaning to it is hard and scary. And Peter's point here is not you can avoid words. He's not saying your actions alone are enough to lead people to god it's not possible non-christians can do good and honorable thing the point in this and what peter is writing to is a church that's already proclaiming the gospel these are already people known as christians they are something other than everyone else That doesn't mean people always understood christians but they knew who they were and when they saw these good and honorable deeds it was a challenge to all these other people who are these christians what are they about? What's going on? And it might lead them, it often did, to learn more about them. So for us too, yes, our good and honorable deeds, they're, they're good. They might lead others to wonder, but we do still have to proclaim the gospel of Christ in our words. We have to find and pray for those types of openings in our lives. Finishing up here, what Peter is saying though, he doesn't actually mean that everyone who sees the good deeds in the church will repent and turn to Jesus. Some may, some do, but many don't. And yet Peter says, when they see your good deeds, they will glorify God when he returns. I believe he means that even those who don't repent, when they finally stand before God, they're going to say, God, we did see you at work. We saw that you are good because we saw this in your people and what they did. We know who you really are in this, and you are good. So God will be glorified. Our deeds will be vindicated in the end, no matter what. And that brings us to this main challenge again for us. We are God's people. We're sojourners in exile here, free and yet servants of God, and we're called to be good, to do good where we are and what we do. That's who we are now. So what does this look like for you? So I was saying this this morning, and I realized, like, there's a real big way in which God here, he's treating us very much as adults in our faith. We're not little kids who are just going to be told, here's the three things to do. He's actually offering something different. He's giving us freedom to pursue him, to figure it out with him. We can turn to Christ and say, what does this look like now, Christ? So as we're ending, I want to give us each a few moments to start asking that question of God. God, what is this look like now? What are you asking of me? And some, you'll just hear, you're doing well. Good job. Keep it up. For some of us, we'll also hear, that is great, and I want you to start looking at this place too. What is good, what is honorable here? So just take a few moments in prayer and discussion with the Lord to start a conversation about what he's asking you to do. Christ, we are thankful for the great gift of your salvation, for the way you have changed us and made us something new. Um, In that, we ask for your help, for your imagination, um, for all the areas of our lives, that we can see um, what loving you, what serving you, what being these new people means, what it looks like for us. Give us encouragement and strength in these things. And also give us the words that we know that we can proclaim your gospel to those around. People will... um, come to see and know you more um, through us. Amen.